Hello and welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by Funkinsliff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I'm your host, Scott Dr. Jake Skolfine, musicologist and author of Everything's on the One, the first guy to funk. If you don't have your copy, get on over to Amazon and pick one up. You'll be so glad you did. Whether you're watching the video version of this at Funkinstuff.net or on YouTube or listening to the audio-only podcast version from providers like iTunes and Spotify. As always, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in the show. Speaking of which, if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives. All kinds of goodies you'll get uh, early premieres, and it's all free, so make sure you sign up. Tell a friend, tell family. Also get your official Truth and Rhythm and Funkin' Stuff gear at the FunkinStuff.net store. Cool stuff like I'm wearing right here, Truth and Rhythm shirts, Show your support and love of the show and also the musicians and the music that they represent. Um, also want to give a shout out to the Funk Exhibition Center and Hall of Fame in Dayton, Ohio, of which I'm very proud to be an official Funk Ambassador. Go to thefunkcenter.org to learn more and keep the funk alive. And now, with all that, it's time to get on with the show. Enjoy. I'm delighted to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership saxophonist Eddie Minenfield, better known as Eddie M, and best known for his work with Prince and Sheila E, but also for a host of other artists. Coming aboard during the Purple Rain tour, he would go on to perform countless shows with Prince and Sheila E, and appeared on the former's Around the World in a Day album and the latter's Romance 1600, Sheila E, Sex Symbol, Heaven, and Iconic. He has also released music under his own name, as well as supported other acts including Paula Abdul, Beyonce, Stevie Nicks, Wayman Tisdale, Aretha Franklin, Jesse Johnson, Tina Marie, Karen White, Levert, Acoustic Alchemy, and Jay King. Eddie, how are you? Welcome. <laughs> wow, I didn't expect to hear the ending with Jay King, but that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he was actually just on the show a few weeks ago, so... Great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I, I uh, haven't talked to him in a while, but yeah, that's you did your research there, Scott. Oh, I <laughs> I try, but it helps when, when I've been a fan going way back to the beginning. So. Oh, that's awesome. I appreciate it. So. <laughs> even though as we were talking before we came on air, we got the Lakers-Golden State Warriors thing going on, but yeah. you know what? It's uh, Pacific Division solidarity, right? It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> gotta love California. You got a mixture of all kinds of things. So I support my Lakers as well, but I'm a Bay Area boy, so I gotta stick with my, my Warriors a little bit tighter. <laughs> I understood. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, so, Eddie, where are you coming to us from today? 
I'm actually coming to you from my home. I actually am in my studio, and I'm in uh, Concord, California, and uh, good old hot Concord, California, right about now. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, yeah, and, uh, it's, it's uh, this is home for me right now. For those who don't know, Concord is roughly how far from like San Francisco and Oakland? Um, it's maybe uh, Oakland area. It's about twenty-five minute drive. San Francisco had another fifteen on there, but not far. I grew up in Berkeley, California, so I wanted to uh, uh, get a little closer to where I grew up. So. Uh, we bought a home out here and enjoying good old Concord, great neighborhood, good fun people. They don't mind listening to loud music all day and night, so I couldn't ask for anything better. <laughs> yeah. So, so how have you been holding up during this crazy year overall? It's been been very uh, strange, you know. Um, we were working quite a bit. For the last several years, and I'm usually gone, you know, every week, uh, some part of the country or the world, and to have it just go into complete shutdown, it's been very interesting, I must say, you know, to say the least. <clears throat> but it has allowed us to do a lot of things that we kind of put off to the side, and uh, you know, didn't have time for because of the travel. Um, so I'm excited about new projects that I'm working on and, and, and finally getting the chance to complete them. So on that end of things, it's, you know, it's uh, good. But as you know, California is one of the hot spots. So uh, shutdown is pretty intense on this side. Of things, you know? So it's a bit of adjustment, you know. Uh, <clears throat> I managed to complete building my studio in this shutdown period, so I spent a lot of time out in my studio, uh, trying to finish up a lot of cool projects that I've been involved in. So. Yeah, I think it's, you know, there's definitely some uh, lemonade from this, you know, lemon situation, um, if, if you look for it, you know, and, Absolutely. and bring it to fruition, but, um, you know, as I say with most of these shows, it's going to be a few weeks before this gets on the air, hoping against uh, all hope that we're in a lot better place by then. Yeah, we're going to just keep praying and, you know, keep praying for the healing of our country and not just our country, all over the world, because this is pretty bizarre to experience this. And uh, it's pretty bizarre to be on the other end, you know, <clears throat> as musicians and entertainers, really kind of the last on the list to get back out there in the world and, and share you know, our gifts. So it's kind of tough. But it has opened us uh, up to uh, finished projects. Um, I've been involved in a few streaming situations. Um, that's, you know, in California. I did one with Sheila a couple of weeks ago that went really well. Um, and, you know, you just... It forces you to, uh, to think a little bit out of the box, but we were groomed for that as being musicians, you know? We yeah. always had to kind of, you know, be challenged to uh, sustain this, you know, all musical thing. So we will survive. Yes, we'll persevere and 
you know what? It's allowed us to more easily schedule this show right now. So absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so let's take absolutely. advantage of that. Um, That's it, Scott. So Eddie, uh, tell us, you know, how you first uh, were drawn to the saxophone. I understand you saw uh, Duke Ellington as a, as a kid, and that really inspired you. So tell us about that a little. Yeah, my mom, when I was the age of, uh, I think I was seven or eight, but um, Duke Ellington came to uh, Berkeley High School that I graduated from, but as a kid, uh, he came to do a big concert there. My mom was, uh, she, she wanted to take, I'm not even sure if my siblings were there, but as I remember, um, she got me there to the concert, and, and uh, I told her that night that I wanted to play. I didn't even know what the saxophone was. I just thought the guy sitting there and with the saxophone on his side, I thought, oh, that's cool. I was like, I want to play that. And uh, <laughs> uh, I ended up getting the saxophone and never stopped, you know. Uh, but that was the night that I decided I wanted to play that instrument, and uh, I was, like, again, seven or eight years old. My older uh, siblings uh, were kind of <clears throat> involved in music, so, you know, they were more like singers uh, and, uh, you know, keyboardists and all, but somehow that saxophone just drew, you know, my attention, and uh, I haven't put it down since. And who were some of your early heroes as far as saxophone goes, or music in general? Well, <clears throat> well saxophone, uh, my favorites were like uh, Maceo, of course, and uh, uh, Grover Washington, Ronnie Laws. I was listening to that kind of stuff. I didn't really go heavy, heavy jazz, but then, you know, started listening to Coltrane and cats like that, but I was more drawn into more of the R&B flavor of uh, saxophone players. But yeah, but I grew up listening to James Brown because that was played in my household, so, uh, you know, uh, so of course, I, Macy just came alive in me, you know, it's like he was uh, definitely one that I just dug his work, you know, and still do to this day, he's amazing. Um, but yeah, um, far as horn players, but um, <clears throat> my uh, major musical influence was Earth, Wind, and Fire, and uh, and uh, I used to go, you know, to see them every time they came to Oakland to the Oakland Coliseum. I'd you know be there since I was, I was I guess I was fourteen or fourteen or fifteen when I got to the first concert. Then it turned about, I ended up uh, being mentored by Verdie White. And uh, in a roundabout way, I ended up working with him. We still working together, actually. And uh, uh, those were, that was Maurice White. That whole thing was just huge to me. So I had a band, a top 40 band at the time. So we would, uh, we would cut school. <laughs> and go, uh, you know, try and uh, learn all the Earth and the Fire songs as we possibly could, you know. And, you know, so we had a band uh, back then called All Is One, 
like to be earth and a fire. So they're heavy influence. And it, the, the funny thing about it, my dear brother that I grew up with, uh, John Paris, is now the drummer. He's been with them over 15, 16 years. And we grew up playing their music together. Now he's, uh, he's an earth and a fire uh, family member. So it's really cool. But they were my, to get back to your question, they were, they were very heavy on my list. So. How, how and then there was people like Cameo and, you know, the, all the R&B bands, Confunction. My first single was with Confunction when I was a kid. And, you know, like a lot of the locals, we were blessed to have great bands up here, like Frankie Beverly and Maze, Tower of Power, you know. Uh, it was, you know, so I, I have a lot on the list. Breaking the Fire was probably number one. How, how did you come in contact initially with Verdeen? A dear friend of mine that I was working with named Larry White um, was, and he was uh, formerly with the Whispers, and uh, he was very close to Verdeen. And Verdeen and uh, Larry Dunn <coughs> uh, were working on a production situation, and they wanted to bring in some songwriters to help with uh, tracking some of the songs for some of their artists so uh larry invited me down and uh another friend of ours kurt crumpler we uh, the three of us jumped in the car and headed to la and uh uh stayed down there about four or five days and just kind of you know got to know each other and was writing things i think that the group we were uh, creating for at the time was hiroshima and it was another act i can't recall but yeah so we ended up just kind of like a writing session but we became friends and you know became my mentor a lot of people think that you know my beginnings was with uh prince and sheila but it was really with uh, Verdine white i actually got the call for sheila while i was down there in l.a working with Verdine. So it's uh, it's quite interesting. Yeah, uh, but that is very interesting. It. So, what year would you say it was that you first met Verdine? Ooh, that had to be well. Meeting him had to be early eighties, and I started work. But it had to be like eighty two, eighty three, somewhere in there, because the next year I think we were out doing Purple Rain. That happened so fast. <laughs> it just went from, you know. It, it went really fast. So it had to be around 82, 83. So it's right about the time that Earth, Wind & Fire was kind of fizzling out for a bit and for Prince minute, yeah. was rising up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, wow, that's interesting. I didn't know about the Verdine connection. Very cool. Yeah, that's my guy. It's my mentor. He's a very, very sweetheart and kind heart and loving and he's always big supportive. Uh, been on my team so yeah, yeah. I was yeah i hope to have him on the show uh i've had larry larry dunn's been on he he was great so. oh sweet yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of good history there yeah, yeah we we'll have to talk to dean he'll do it we'll get him we'll get him <laughs> um uh, what was gonna say Oh, you know the people you mentioned eddie i mean you know it's my guys too i mean um grover ronnie laws oh, yeah. And uh, Maceo, of course. Maceo is my very yeah. favorite. 
But if I had yes. to name my top three, it's very it very likely would be those three guys, you know, and maybe yeah. also like Wilton Felder with the Crusaders. Oh, Wilton, yeah, that's you know? right. Yeah. yeah. Forget Wilton, yeah, absolutely. So. Those were, you know, they weren't the really straight-ahead guys to me, and I was more drawn to the R&B and kind of, you know, slash jazz cats more so uh, than the straight-ahead, but I still, you know, appreciate a lot of the straight-ahead cats. I tried to, you know, build something from all of that. You know, being in the Bay Area, we were so exposed to all kinds of music. I mean, you know, we'd have our radio stations would play Fleetwood Mac and then go to James Brown or, you know, Tower of Power and then Santana, you know. So it wasn't this, you know, uh, separation of music the way it is so much now. But uh, Barry is always flooded with uh, great music, so it's fortunate to be exposed to all that goodness. Yeah, that is fantastic. I mean, so many of the most uh, well-versed musicians have come up in that sort of environment where they get that exposure to so many different kinds of music. And even if you're like a hardcore funk guy, if you have all that coming into it, distilled into it, it's so much more interesting. And, you know, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it was great. I mean, for me, it was was embedded in me. I mean, I was listening to Fleetwood Mac when I was a kid, you know. And I ended up working on Stevie Nicks. So it was like, oh, I know this stuff. <laughs> like, you know, even though I wasn't playing it every day, but you know, we was we were so exposed to great music, and uh, it was a blessing to grow up in this, you know, in this area. What What you may not know is that I'm also a sax player. Uh, that was my instrument. Scott, you was holding out, man. Yeah, he was holding so out. I played in school and alto, awesome. alto sax. Oh, great. And, and yeah. and my son who's fifteen is playing my old alto sax now. So, sweet, sweet. Yeah. See, I haven't had anybody to pass it on to. I tried with my daughter, but she she was into her elementary school and then like nah, junior high wasn't cool to carry a saxophone, so <laughs> she went the other direction. But well, I I and his middle name is Parker after Maceo, so. All right, yeah. all right. Yeah. Maceo was your guide in. That's yeah, right. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. He's 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 incredible. Definitely incredible. Did a lot for me. <laughs> so, um, you had some formal training though, or just kind of picked it up on your own? Oh no, I did. I, um, you know, studied uh, one of the greatest guys. It's uh, not with us anymore, but his name was Mister uh, Phil Hardeman. Taught me. And you know, uh, and then um, I played in jazz bands all through elementary school, all the way out of, you know, throughout high school. Um, I studied over at, up here at Cal Berkeley. They had a, a summer music program where they would bring in all these incredible teachers that, you know, professors and all kinds of folks who teach six weeks. Uh, so I studied under some great people, and you know, my goal was to get to Berkeley. <clears throat> I wanted to go to Berkeley College of Music in Boston, and I was the last kid in four, you know, out of, of the four of us. So my parents' money were pretty exhausted, and it was time for me to think about going to school. But 
I got accepted in the whole shebang, you know, but uh, it didn't work out, but it worked out the other ways. I ended up on the road with Prince at uh, nine, I was 20 when I went out with Prince, so. Wow. So, you know, it's just another road map, you know. But uh, I did want to go to school there, but I did study a great deal going, growing up. That, that's one of the things that's killing me about the COVID situation now is like my son with the band, you know, it's like preventing band activities. Oh, it's horrible. It's horrible. Um, <clears throat> we've, uh, I, me and my team, we, we put together a, a situation. We call it a backyard sessions. I'm not trying to plug here, but we're, it's a situation where I've opened up uh, bringing my, my crew, camera crews, audio and i have a stage kind of situation in my backyard so i've been bringing in you know, different artists to do it every other week my daughter's band she's a vocalist they've been uh, they've done the, the first two we're going to start bringing in you know kids from you know oakland area kids from berkeley little combos you know uh, big artists uh, you know people who uh, Tony Lindsay from Santana is going to be a part and a lot of different local artists just to try and give, you know, us a chance to play because play live, you know, it's um, only so much we can do in these rooms, you know. That's great. So we're doing a streaming situation to try and open up the area for kids to come in a safe environment, you know, separation and uh, outside and, you uh, all they have to do is play in front of a camera crew and, you know, get a chance to, you know, release that because it's something about, you know, playing live that, that you know, kind of sucks we've been shut down on that side of things. But Yeah, well, before, yeah. We, before we sign off, we'll definitely have to make sure that you uh, get all information out there to the viewers and listeners Absolutely. on how they can awesome. keep up with you in that. So Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, Eddie, what was... The extent of your professional experience before connecting with Sheila and Prince? Well, my uh, my professional before I really um, before connecting with Sheila, Prince, Verdine, and all, I just had a very a top forty band. It was a pretty uh, hot around the area. We played all the major clubs, you know, and did a lot of you know a lot of cool things. We had a great manager. He's now one of the top tour managers in the country, his name is Marty Hum. And speaking of the drummer that I was telling about, my partner and brother is uh, John Paris. We were in the Top 40 band. And actually, Sheila and her brother used to come and see our Top 40 band all the time because John was at the time playing in a band with her as well. So she was actually, uh, you know, uh, hip to what we were doing back in the day. And I think she kind of handpicked what she wanted when it was time for her to go out and get her, you know, uh, my glamorous life came out. So I was kind of, I think I was a bit handpicked to uh, be a part of her whole situation. Uh, but yeah, that was kind of, that was it. After high school, I went abroad um, with this band to uh, Japan for like two months and we played in the club scene there. And, uh, came on back and just continued to uh, do the scene out here in the Bay Area. And uh, 
And then it just, you know, took off once I hit the road with Sheila. You know, it just kind of took off. Well, t- tell, tell us the um, sequence of events, you know, um, getting with, with Sheila and, and, you know, with the audition, if you had an audition, and, and you know, how you got the gig and, and you know, your first performance. Wow. Wow, you're taking me way back, Scott, <laughs> right now, but at the end of the day, uh, as I said, I think she had an idea of players that she wanted to do this band, and at this point, this her single wasn't out, and I really didn't know much about her recording with Prince, and I had no idea about Glamorous Life or whatever, so all I, I knew Sheila, and I was a... a I was a fan of her and Pops, you know, growing up, because they were like the local, you know, stars around, you know. And uh, again, she used to come and check my band out. And then uh, I actually got a call. Well, I I said earlier I was working with Verdine and Ellie at the time. I got a call from John, uh, my friend, and said, Sheila's looking for you. I'm like, what is she looking for me for, you know? (laughs) So... She's uh, put the band together, and she's got a single coming out, and she, she's looking for you. So she did hold auditions, but I honestly don't remember going through a audition format with her. Um, uh, but uh, she did put it, you know, she got the players that she was looking for. She was looking for She got the players together. We ended up changing out one we end up changing out a drummer uh, and Carl Parazzo now with Santana became the drummer for that original band but uh, other than that I think everybody she had pretty much mapped out in her mind what she wanted and uh, uh, so from there we rehearsed like crazy 12 hours a day 6 days a week sometimes 7 days <laughs> for a couple of months and then Prince came up and he uh, spent a week with us just uh, showing us changing up the material and showing us uh, he wanted to you know his thing was he never wanted to you know stick with what was recorded he wanted to do so you know I remember him telling us if people want to hear the record they can stay at home and hear the record let's give them something else live and that's what he always uh, showed us so uh, so we spent the week with him, and then the next thing you know, we were headed to uh, Europe for a promotional tour with Sheila. On the way to Europe, <clears throat> he decided, excuse me, he decided he wanted um, us to open up the premiere for Purple Rain, the premiere uh, in L.A. He wanted us to play. He was going to come back and his band Revolution was going to be a surprise. He was just going to after you know, he wanted us to be like it was our show or whatever and he was just going to be there. But we went to Minneapolis to uh, uh, rehearse with him for about a week and then we headed over to Europe. And then when we came back, we did the premiere of Purple Rain and uh, from there it just kind of sailed, you know. And then uh, next thing you know, we're on the biggest tour, you know, in history. <laughs> I saw, I, I, I was it, at the uh, the LA Forum stop. Did you oh, wow. play that one? Oh, Purple Rain? Yeah. 
Oh yeah, I was on the whole. Yeah, yeah. I was. Yeah, I was there the whole ride. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, it was. It was incredible. It was. Although I was, I was a little. I found it both amusing and I was kind of a little irked because I had followed Prince since he first came out in like 79 when he first played. Mm -hmm. I saw him at the Roxy in Los Angeles and uh, I went to every show and every show got progressively bigger and and Mm -hmm. to the point at the forum, I could no longer get as up close as I used to be, you know? (laughs) So I was like, wow, it's really cool to see him do this great, but now it's harder to get to see him close. Right. You want to get that close and you want to get the thing close. Yeah, I feel you. Uh, I, I, I too, was a fan of his, and I used to see him when he came out here, like, you know, uh, I think he, not the Warfield, but back then it was like uh, the Civic Center in San Francisco. Seen him there and seen a couple other places, but yeah, got bigger and bigger, got and, bigger and bigger. And of course, I knew I knew Shelley from George Duke, is you know how I knew right. her first, and uh, then saw the transformation she underwent with Prince was incredible. Yeah, big turnaround there. <laughs> in in sound, in in you know aesthetic and and style and just everything. But um, yeah. yeah, what. Um, what impressed you most about Prince in terms of his presence, the way he went about things? His, you know, his love and passion for music was, was I'd never been around anyone that musical. I mean, and I felt at times it was almost a curse because it seems like it, you could never turn it off. And, uh, but his appreciation, his love for for the art and the music and and sharing and just you know the nonstop of the flow of music to him is just I've never been around that and I thought wow but he taught me and many others um, uh, skills on how to not just be a player but how to you know be a musician. Um, taught us etiquette, he taught us how to deal with situations, he taught us, he went far beyond uh, just your play, your acts, you know. Um, he educated me on many different things because I got a chance to, you know, spend time with him when I was, you know, doing, um, you know, uh, you know, solo stuff with him in the studio, by, you know, just me and him. So it was always educational moments with him. Um, you know, but I just, I'd never been around anyone that had that much music in them. Really had, and I still have it. Hmm. I still have it. I don't know that I ever will because it was, you know, and I often would feel sorry for him at times. Like, does this dude ever shut down? Or is he just constantly hearing melodies and lyrics and you know, I, I can shut down and go turn on a baseball game or something like that, but it, uh, you know, it just seemed like it just was always flowing. And I thought, wow, uh, what a musical genius and what a gifted cat, you know. Um, uh, yeah, definitely, you know, educational moments was intense for us. For me, for, uh, definitely for me. 
I was always especially curious, Eddie, about his interaction relationship with the horn players because horns seemed like the one thing that he didn't do. You know, well that yeah, that was a cool side for me because, <laughs> and also for Eric and all the horn players that came after us because he can play everything, and I was so glad he can play horn. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> so you know because. He would go over and tell everybody what to play, and you know, bass, keys, drums, whatever. But you know, all he could do was you know kind of give you an idea of what he wanted on the horn. So I was like, yeah. But yeah, Eric and I and Maceo Candy, um, you know, he trusted us enough to uh, you know share our vision to his to his to his music to his painting. You know, and that was pretty incredible. To be to be trusted to do that, you know, and it lives today. It'll always be there. Oh yeah, and interesting too was you know you came there around the time when he first started opening up to horns because before then yeah. he was using all synthesizers for the mm -hmm. horn parts pretty much, and then he yeah. finally started using some real horns. Well, he started with Eric. Eric was one of the first on the scene. Eric Leeds. Because uh, he had already started recording Eric for the family, and you know, and uh, I had never met Eric, but I had heard, you know, stuff in the studio that he was doing with Eric. And then me coming in with Sheila, I was like, pretty much the second horn player on the scene, and me happening to be on the tour just kind of opened him up to allow me to, you know to uh, be used. It was awesome. It was great. Performance-wise and studio-wise, it, it was great. I heard I heard that you were in the part of the America video, right? I was. Eric and I both was in that video. You know, the live video, we shot it over in these friends. He was over there doing under the cherry moon. And uh, he's like, I want to do a live video. So he filled up a balloon auditorium or tent or whatever it was back then it's so long ago and had a whole bunch of folks in and we shot that video i think we did it like two or three times and that was it but uh uh yeah it was historic moments with him and still live today you know broke you know it was amazing that's such a great video because i mean it expanded so much on the record and yeah. uh gosh it was i think like 20-some minutes, right? Yeah, it was a long <laughs> version. Back then, we were allowed to do long version. I mean, even when we did the first long, we did the re... He set the record for being on MTV with the longest video. It was the I Will Die For You, Baby I'm a Star video. I think we did back then on MTV. wasn't showing anything live like that. I think it was 17 minutes. And, yeah, he was... He's one of the first to got, you know, live footage on MTV for that length of time. So it was really not common to have long form situations back then. You know? Yeah. Live situations. I yeah, say. I would say definitely live. I guess Michael Jackson's Thriller was probably the the first long form <laughs> video overall. But yeah, but live, the live. Uh, he was always focused on the live. Yeah. Love the live That's, stuff. Yeah. Um, 